hello, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, the host of the iFormerX podcast. And unless you have been trapped in Antarctica for the past five years, you're likely to be aware of the significant impact that the sodium glucose transporter 2 inhibitors, or SGLT2 inhibitors, have had on clinical practice in recent years. Not only have the SGLT2 inhibitors reduced cardiovascular morbidity and mortality in patients with diabetes, but they also are effective for the treatment of heart failure and have renal protective effects. And these effects are unrelated to their glucose-lowering effects, and thus these agents are now being used in an ever-expanding population of patients. In patients with heart failure, because a cocktail of agents is is needed, the risk of unwelcome drug-drug interactions is all too common. Drug-drug interactions may result in diminished effectiveness, or they can increase the risk of or severity of adverse effects. So I was pleased to see a subgroup analysis of the Emperor Reduced study that examined the benefits and risks of using an SGLT2 inhibitor concurrently with a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist. And I'm delighted to welcome to the iFormerX podcast, Dr. Clements and Dr. Miller, who graciously agreed to write a commentary about this study. Jennifer is no stranger to iFormerX. She's a member of our editorial board and has been a frequent contributor over the years. And Dr. Clements is a clinical pharmacy specialist in diabetes transitions at Spartanburg Regional Healthcare System in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And Dr. Blake Miller is on faculty and is Director of Interprofessional Education at Presbyterian College School of Pharmacy. And like Dr. Clements, practices at the Spartanburg Regional Medical Center, but in their heart failure center. So Dr. Miller is a first-time contributor to iFormerX. So Blake, Jennifer, it's great to have you both on the iFormerX podcast today. Yes, thanks for the introduction. Uh, It's so good to be part of this. I really appreciate this opportunity, and I really do look forward to our discussion. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me back. So, Blake, before we talk about the study that you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'd like to get a better understanding of the landscape today in terms of the use of the SGLT2 inhibitors in patients with heart failure. I know that some of these SGLT2 inhibitors are now approved for the use in patients with heart failure who don't have diabetes, and other agents in this class have positive data to support their use, but are not yet approved for the treatment of heart failure. So can you give us a very quick review of what's known about the efficacy of this class of agents and when they should be used and which agents have official FDA approval for the treatment of heart failure and which ones don't? Yes. So fortunately, there's a lot of information on these medications in both the diabetes and the cardiology realm, as you mentioned, and both sets of guidelines have really jumped on board. So for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, in the past, we've really pushed for sequential titration to target doses of guideline-directed medical therapy for heart failure. And we've seen that that can really become difficult, and we may not be doing such a great job, as indicated by a couple different registries. One I'd mention would be the CHAMP Heart Failure Registry. As a matter of fact, in this CHAMP Heart Failure Registry, they found that in the U.S., less than 1% of patients were on the target dosages of a beta blocker, ACE inhibitor, ARB, or ARNI, plus an aldosterone antagonist. 
And that can be due to a lot of different patient provider issues, adherence, low blood pressure, volume status, cost, several different things. Now with the 2021 updates to the heart fair guidelines in January, the first principle of the guidelines really state that all populations should be placed on guideline-directed medical therapy with the highest expected benefit, further referencing that this guideline-directed medical therapy is really a four-pillar approach. And those first-line medications being an ARNI, so Entresto or an ARNI preferred over an ACE inhibitor or ARB, plus a beta blocker, plus an aldosterone antagonist, and finally plus that SGLT2 inhibitor. Currently, the 2021 Heart Fair guidelines state that SGLT2 inhibitors are really considered as a whole entity, but there's technically only one FDA approved at this moment for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction specific indications, and that's dapagliflozin from the DAPA heart failure trial. However, there's several others that have promising data, so I'll go over that just real briefly. Now, when we talk about data specific to heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, include dapagliflozin in the DAPA heart failure trial and the Divine heart failure trial, and then empagliflozin in the Emperor reduced trial. And really breaking big news, as a matter of fact, the trial results were just released of the Emperor Preserved Phase 3 trial, where empagliflozin met its primary endpoint, and that really established this drug as the first and only therapy to significantly reduce the risk of composite cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure in adults in those patients with or without diabetes, but with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. So if this gets approved, that would empagliflozin would really become the first and only at this time to improve those outcomes for the full spectrum of patients with heart failure, regardless of their ejection fracts. Now, there's also some evidence studying the timing of these benefits. As a matter of fact, there's four pillars, the beta blocker, the ARNI, the aldosterone antagonist, and the SGLT2 inhibitor. They all now have data regarding early initiation and the cardiovascular benefits, and most of that data is within the first month or so. So that's really good. Now, with this said, it's kind of now becoming more imperative to consider how and when to administer this guideline-directed medical therapy. Like, for instance, do we do it sequentially versus do we start them all for at diagnosis once they're euvolemic? So there's several strategies out there that do include that, starting all at once. But clinically, this is not necessarily done very often. So there's really little data addressing the combination of an RNA plus an SGLT2 inhibitor. But in both the DAPA heart failure trial and the Emperor reduced trial, the benefit of the SGLT2 inhibition really was consistent in patients already treated with other background therapy, such as the ARNI. And there's been another meta-analysis of those trials, really, that affirm this finding. So Jennifer, you know, my thanks for critically reviewing the study entitled The Interplay of Mineralocorticoid Receptor Antagonists and Empagliflozin in Heart Failure, Emperor Reduced, which is published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, also known as JAK, and it was published in March 2021. We provide a link to that paper on the iFormerX website, but can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and the results? The Emperor Reduced trial was a multinational, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. It investigated the efficacy and safety of empagliflozin in patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, also known as HEFREF, regardless of diabetes status. 
For the secondary analysis that we are discussing, the authors reviewed MRA use at baseline to determine any influence on clinical outcomes with the addition of empagliflozin. The patient population included adults with New York Heart Association 2, 3, or 4, and an ejection fraction of 40% or less. In the secondary analysis, the composite endpoint was time to first cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure. There were also two secondary endpoints, which included occurrence of first and recurrent hospitalizations for heart failure, as well as the change in estimated GFR. Safety endpoints related to adverse events, specifically related to heart failure like volume depletion, renal events, and hypotension, were also evaluated. However, it's important to highlight that hyperkalemia was also evaluated as a safety endpoint. Looking at the results, we first have to consider that 71% of participants in the emperor reduced trial received a MRA at randomization. For the result, the overall message from the secondary analysis is that the use of MRAs did not influence the efficacy and safety of empagliflozin. There was also notable trends towards improvement in cardiovascular mortality when using empagliflozin with or without an MRA. In terms of safety outcomes, the added benefit is that there is lower risk of hyperkalemia with the addition of empagliflozin to an MRA. So every study, Jen, has strengths and weaknesses and potential limitations. And I think many clinicians would consider the Emperor Reduced study a landmark trial in that it, along with the DAPA-HF study, lead to changes in practice do you have any concerns, though, about the design and the conduct of the Emperor Reduce study or this subgroup analysis? I do think there are several strengths from this secondary analysis, one being that they did pull information from a strong study design and methodology. The results also confirm the role and advantage of an SGLT2 inhibitor as a simplified medication regimen for patients with HEF-REF, as this is a one-tablet oral medication once a day with no titration, which is different than other medications for heart failure. In addition, this secondary analysis provided some unique results in terms of the addition of an SGLT2 inhibitor, specifically empagliflozin, and lowering the risk of hyperkalemia as this is a safety concern in patients with heart failure due to guideline-based therapies such as ARNIs, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and specifically from the analysis MRAs. However, there are a few limitations to mention. First, it is difficult to apply the findings to other patients with HEFREF, as there was a lower percentage of individuals and participants who were female, also black, or had severe condition in terms of New York Heart Association 3 or 4. In addition, the frequency of MRA use in the secondary analysis could be predicted to be higher than the clinical utilization of this class in practice. And while there are a few publications 
related to cost, more information is needed to determine the cost effectiveness as well as potential cost savings to the healthcare system when using SGLT2 inhibitors for patients with HEFREF. So Blake, these data provide us with some reassurance that using mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists in combination with SGLT2 inhibitor is not harmful, but is it clear that we actually need both agents? Uh, We're getting to the point where patients with heart failure are now asked to take three, four, or five different medications for heart failure, and so the cost and pill burden is becoming very challenging. Is there any evidence that the combination of these two classes of medications results in improved outcomes, or can we just use one or the other in combination with those other guideline recommended therapies? Yeah, such a good question. Also, this is one that many providers have when considering starting a patient on guideline-directed medical therapy for heart failure. You know, just like a few other disease states like diabetes and HIV, which typically recommend multiple medications for improved outcomes. There is talk about creating a combination type pill with guideline-directed medical therapy for patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Who knows when or if that'll come about, but that may be something to look forward to. So now from a place and therapy standpoint, we do see that adding an SGLT2 inhibitor does improve outcomes. The studies included most patients already on guideline-directed medical therapy and still produce the benefit with improved safety outcomes, like that potassium, for instance. And just talking about dapagliflozin and empagliflozin from the efficacy outcomes of the trials we've already talked about, for instance, in that EMPA-reduced trial, almost three-fourths of the patients were already on that aldosterone antagonist. So from a safety standpoint, too, with dapagliflozin compared to placebo, there were very similar rates of volume depletion, renal events, and hypotension. And empagliflozin was very similar as well. So when we talk about which you should add first, there's some interesting data out there. In the past, we really focused on titrating that guideline-directed medical therapy. And now we have those you know, several medications that can be added very close together. What I'll say typically happens in clinical practice is we have that ARNI or an ACE inhibitor or an ARB plus the beta blocker plus the aldosterone antagonist. And in between titrating those medications about every two weeks or so towards the target dose, we're starting to really add on this SGLT2 inhibitor typically after the aldosterone antagonist, or at least once they're on an ARNI plus a beta blocker. What you would hope is that with the ARNI and the SGLT2 inhibitor and the aldosterone antagonist, the patient will perhaps not require as much loop diuretic down the road. Well, Jennifer and Blake, I, I want to thank you both for joining me today to discuss the treatment of heart failure and the use of SGLT2 inhibitors in combination with a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist. And I think it's clear from your comments that you believe we should be using the SGLT2 inhibitors more often and in combination with these other guideline-directed therapies that not only do they improve efficacy, but in fact, they may improve the safety of these combination therapies. Well, tell us what you think. Should an SGLT2 inhibitor be the first agent we add to a patient's regimen after an ACE or an ARB or an ARNI and a beta blocker? Well, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. If you are a health professional, you can become a member of iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today. 
And by the way, if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist and want to earn continuing education and recertification credit for this program, you can. Through our partnership with the American Pharmacists Association, this program will be available for recertification credit. Click on the link posted below the commentary on our website to learn more. And lastly, I want to extend a very special thank you to Deanna Tran at the University of Maryland for maintaining our point-of-care testing resource page for the past several years. Point-of-care testing is playing a larger and more important role in ambulatory care and in community pharmacy practice, and I'm so grateful to Dr. Tran for her efforts to keep us all updated and informed about this critically important area of practice. iFormerX is made possible by the active engagement of pharmacists from around the globe who all work in a wide variety of ambulatory care settings. So thank you, Deanna, for being an active and engaged iFormerX member. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.